I'll tell you what, let's, let's pray together. Um, Father, I do thank you for the, the fact, the truth that despite all of our sin and shortcoming, uh, all the ways that we have offended you, um, yet you sent your son that he might die in our place, that he might um, bear the wrath reserved uh, originally for us. We thank you for Jesus, and thank you that we get to uh, just dwell in that truth every time we get together, uh, that we can be reminded of that for ourselves, and that we can remember uh, that this is true of uh, the brothers and sisters around us, that you've redeemed a people for yourself, uh, that your wounds have paid for that. Um, Lord, we, we just pray that tonight as we gather around your word, as we uh, consider um, the, uh, the elder candidacy of, of Jay, we pray that in all of this that you would be glorified and that we would be encouraged and edified and that your church, this church, might be made more faithful and fruitful uh, in Jesus' name. And we ask that in his name. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Um, my name is Robert. I'm glad you guys are back with us tonight. Um, we have been considering these last few weeks what it looks like to grow as a Christian. What does it mean to, uh, to grow? And I think the, the, I guess, definition that we've, or that I've reiterated every week is that to grow in the Lord, to um, become more sanctified, more holy, uh, more like Christ, it means necessarily that we would abide in him, that we would rest in him, that we would find our dwelling place in him and in knowing him better. Uh, so that really all of the Christian life, I think, can be summarized by saying that it, it's the process, it's the, really the lifetime of knowing Jesus better. Um, and so two weeks ago, we looked at Scripture and the importance of Scripture in that. Obviously, when you think about it in these terms of knowing God, knowing Jesus, where better to go than to hear directly from the Lord in his word? Uh, so we consider that. We also then last week talked about the importance of prayer uh, in, in knowing the Lord better, which oftentimes doesn't it's not necessarily the first place you would go thinking about how can I grow? Oh, I should pray. Maybe you think, well, I, I should pray for growth. And that's certainly true. But the very act of praying, uh, the very act of coming to the Lord, of, of seeking his face, of yielding to him, uh, is itself something that, um, that is the fruit of the gospel. And, and then likewise, it only reinforces our understanding of what the gospel is. That the Lord would do something for us. Right, that, he would, uh, that he would hear us, that he even wants to hear us. All of this is the result of what Jesus has done on the cross to overcome our sin and these barriers then that we've put up between a right standing with the Lord um, and ourselves. So tonight, I want to look at another way that we can grow as Christians. And, and by that, then I mean another way we can know the Lord better, another way that we can abide in Christ and therefore grow. Uh, tonight, we're going to talk about the church and, and not just the church universal, but I, th I think more specifically the local church, the body of believers that uh, we find ourselves a part of, uh, especially if you're here tonight. I think most of you are members of Crosspoint. What is, what is the role of Crosspoint in your life as a believer? Um, I want us to think deeply about that. Our text for tonight is going to be Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to be reading most of that chapter, um, so there's a lot that we'll be considering, uh, but I do have a few points along the way. Let me start by reading from Ephesians chapter 4. I'll start in verse 1, and I'm going to read through verse 16 uh, at the beginning, so buckle up. All right, I therefore, this is Paul speaking, a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. 
with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped uh, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's a lot. Paul had a way of writing a lot in a very short space. But um, let's unpack this here. I, I think there are three, I guess, main points that I want to get across tonight. Uh, the first is this. Our walk is proved worthy in the context of the local church. What, what, what's the role of the local church in my life as a Christian? How can I grow? How can I be more like Jesus? Well, the local church, first of all, is the, is the place. It's the context by which our walk is proved worthy. So Paul, at the beginning of this, of this chapter, he, uh, he, says, um, he, I, he says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And maybe the way we read that you there in English, uh, there's really no reason why you wouldn't necessarily read it this way. But we tend to read yous most of the time in like the singular form, right? Second person singular, you. It's talking about you as a person, as an individual. That's typically, I think, how we read that word when we see it, even in the Bible. We think of me, myself. That's what you means. Uh, but here, this word you is a, is a plural. And so Paul is writing not to one individual Ephesian, uh, as the, I guess, the title we've given this letter get, you know, explains, he's writing to a whole group of people. And so when he says, you, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy, he's not speaking just to one person, but he's speaking to a whole collection of people, a whole group of people that, in this case, would consider this, themselves to be members of the Ephesian church. Uh, and that's the context for really most of the letters in the New Testament. It's certainly the context for all the, the books, the Gospels, Acts. I mean, you get through these books, and even the Old Testament. These books are all written for collectives of God's people, for groups of God's people. Uh, but even then, you read a book like, uh, like Titus or Timothy, these letters written specifically to individual men leading the church, and you can't help but notice that the application of these letters and the points that Paul or, or Peter or whoever is making in these letters is really directing toward a larger body of Christ, the, the larger people of God, even in as much as they're led by these individual men. Um, it's unavoidable, as you read the New Testament, that you're going to find that, that the Christian life really just doesn't have a context outside of the, the local body of believers gathered together. 
It doesn't. Now, there are a lot of imperatives we find in Scripture. There are a lot of applications we find in Scripture that are certainly applicable to us as individuals and our own individual circumstances. Um, but nevertheless, the, the tenor of the Bible is not written so much to you individually as it is written to you collectively as part of God's people, the church. Which I think is really important when we think about how we grow. Uh, because so often our perspective on how to grow as a Christian is really limited to toward, okay, what do I need to do? What, what should I be doing better? What should I be doing less? What, you know, how can I understand scripture more? How can I pray more? How can I serve people better? How can I cultivate a heart for myself of wanting X, Y, or Z that I see commanded in scripture? And so often we bypass the real key uh, context for all of this growth, which is the church. Uh, the, uh, the context that we have amidst the people of God. And Paul, here he writes it, and it's like it's not even a second thought, but he's talking to, not to you as an individual, but, but to us, plural, not just me, but to, to all of God's people gathered, at least in, in this church. Um, and so his, his directive is that they would prove worthy of the calling to which they've been called. And that only happens uh, because of their their role in and their um, uh, presence in this, this local body. Paul is writing this instruction to a people that he assumes are thinking about things in, in a group mindset. He describes how this carries itself out, he says, with all humility in verse 2, with gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. The way that you prove yourself worthy of the calling that you've been called to as a Christian is you see all these words, humility, gentleness, patience, these, these things can't happen in a vacuum. They can't happen in the mirror. They can only happen in relation to other people. Uh, maybe you can be patient with yourself. And maybe you can be humble sort of internally. But it only matters in as much as you're related to other people. You're humble towards other people. You're patient with other people. You're bearing with other people. Right? You're gentle and kind toward other people. Uh, eager, he says in verse 3, to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I mean, how often do you think of your sanctification, your growth as a Christian, in terms of your relationships with other believers? And maybe not just individual believers that you know, but, but in terms of your relationship to this church, to the church that you're a part of the local expression of the body of Christ to which you belong. You know, I, it's easy, I think, for us to really dig in on our own individual needs and, and plans for growth. But if we're not thinking in the context of the body that the Lord has called us to, I think we're going to short-circuit the ways that we grow. We need one another. I, I need you. You need me. Right? That, there's a reciprocity there. We need to hear from one another. We need to speak to one another. We need to know one another. All of this is, is really an assumption. It's a prerequisite for how we grow as Christians, in other words. Uh, so I think in that setting then, that's how our walk is proved worthy. We prove ourselves worthy of this calling, not just on our own, but in the ways that we relate to one another. And I think as you evaluate yourself, as you think about what, what your own spiritual walk looks like, it's important to think maybe even primarily about your relationship with other believers. You may know Scripture back and, backwards and forwards, but if you're not 
patient and gentle and eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and, 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 and loving towards the brothers and sisters that the Lord has placed in your life, you, that's probably a greater indicator of where you stand with the Lord than anything else. And so it's really important then that we think about our growth in, in this way because it, it sh- it's a litmus test. It shows where we stand. It shows what we value. Uh, number two, point number two, we are built up by both the unity, unity and diversity of the local church. I, I love how Paul continues to develop this idea, just the importance of your role in the body. And you may be thinking, okay, well, what, what takes precedence, right? Is it my, my purpose, my role in the larger body of Christ, or is it uh, my role as it regards just relating to individual believers that I'm, that I'm around, you know? Uh, how, how does, which, which one has precedence? Which one is most valuable in my growth? Um, just my participation in the larger church or the relationships that I cultivate within, with individuals, the ways that individuals uh, minister to and care for me. Uh, and I think it's both, right? It's, the answer is yes. So we need unity in the church. We also need the diversity of the church that the church brings uh, to us. So we're united by faith. I love the, just the language here. You can see the emphasis that he places on one, right? Paul says this word again and again and again and again and again. He says there's one body. There's, there's, really, there's, there's one body of Christ to which we belong as individuals uh, and as a church family. There's one spirit. There's one Holy Spirit who abides and comforts and, and directs and counsels each member of God's people, and yet he, he guides us collectively as well. There's one spirit. There's one hope. We think, you think of all the things that distinguish us between one, one another, uh, the things that we love or don't like, the, maybe the, some of the politics that we each represent, some of the, the values that we place, the ways we like to spend our money or the way we like to spend our time, all these things that we can look at to say, well, this is ways that we diverge from one another. And some of those things are, are perfectly fine and good and, and worth, worth thinking about. But at, this, at the end of the day, we're united by really one hope, or that's, that's the calling that we've been given. Uh, and so we have this one great purpose to see the Lord glorified, to see Christ honored in our lives and in our church. There's one Lord, he says. There's only one Christ. There's one Savior. There's one master of his people. We may feel sometimes like we serve different, different aims in the church. No, we have one master. We have one Lord. We have one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. You notice how he weaves into this expression of all the, the, the things that unite us, just the very, the very trinity itself. Father, the Son, and the Spirit are, are each present here. And, and through these three persons of the trinity, we ourselves as God's people are, are united in fellowship with one another and, and with God. And so that unity is really important, and it's worth pursuing. He says, pursue, you know, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. The church in its unity and what, what unites us together is, is important for our growth. It establishes a foundation on which we can grow. It gives us all the same basic premises and understanding of what the Christian life should look like, what our common aim is, what our goal is as God's people. We need one another in the unity that we have through the gospel. But we also need one another. We need and grow from our connection to the local church, not just by its unity, but by its diversity. And so Paul, he explains here, he says in verse 7, he's like, all right, lest you think that it's all just kind of, yeah, we got the same job, same motivation, same, we're all just sort of clones here. He says, no, in verse 7, 
grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. There's, there's one, there's one, there's, there, there's this emphasis there on the unity, and then he talks about each, uh, each one of us. Right? So lest you think, well, as long as I'm just a part of a healthy church, then that's sufficient for, for my standing with the Lord, for my growth, just sitting under good preaching, that'll get the job done, being a part of a good community group, that's the way I'm going to grow, and I don't even really have to put any thought into it. I just kind of show up, and on autopilot, you know, the Lord just, he, he's watering the garden, and here I am, I'll sprout up and grow. Now, there's a role that each of us play, and, and there's a gifting that the Lord has given to, as Paul says, each one of us. Each one of us have a particular uh, gift or measure of Christ's gift. He says that when Christ ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. You can picture almost this, this victorious uh, military leader, you know, returning in triumph over his enemies and just, you know, throwing out the spoils of war to his people, leading them in this train and giving them gifts. Uh, showing his greatness and, and, and his, his valor and his might, but then also equipping his people uh, with, with the spoils of what he has won. And, and so Jesus does that for us. Right? He gives us gifts as individuals in God's church. And so then it's not just the unity of the church, but it's the diversity within it. It's the diversity of gifts that the Lord's given us. It's the diversity of experiences that we've had in our lives, the things that, uh, that the Lord has used uniquely to grow us and change us and mold us to give us a different perspective on who he is and, and the, the different angles of the gospel that we each see. One of the things I love about doing member interviews and meeting with new members of the church is uh, I love hearing people's testimonies. Don't get me wrong. Um, and, but, and they're always different, right? But um, you would think that just meeting with people regularly and hearing them explain not just their testimony, but their understanding of the gospel, you would think, well, that's going to start getting kind of mundane and boring and it's sort of the same thing all the time. And, you know, you just kind of skip ahead or tune out. And I swear to you, most people's testimonies are actually more boring. It's their explanation of the gospel that is always so interesting to me. Because as, as, as much as, I mean, the gospel is a very simple thing. It's a very straightforward thing in terms of Jesus died to save sinners, right? You trust in him, you too will be saved. Uh, it's simple in that sense. But the gospel, it's like a, we talked about this before, it, it's like a diamond ring. It's this beautiful thing, and it, it's, it's a diamond, and, and there it is right in the middle of everything. But if you look at that diamond from a different angle, from a different point of view, depending on how the light hits it, depending on, uh, on the way your eyes perceive it, you're going to see different things stand out. That, that's, just, that's just the beauty of the gospel. It's the same gospel but, but yet, you can hear it in people's explanations of the gospel, the ways that the Lord has really won their hearts, the things, the truths of the gospel that have really stood out to people and impacted them the most. You know, I've, I've met with people who, having grown up without fathers, for example, the thing that often stands out to, uh, I remember this one interview in particular, the thing that stood out to this person was, was just the adoption as sons of God. Man, that's a beautiful part of the gospel. It's not always brought up when I meet with somebody and have them explain the gospel to me. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you're inevitably going to overlook something, right? But there are ways that the Lord has woven our lives and knit us together, not just in our mother's womb, but in the course of the years that we've experienced. Uh, the, the things that have happened, the things that we've done, uh, good and bad, that the Lord uses that we might, in our diversity, actually minister to and care for and benefit one another. There are things that I've experienced that, that you haven't, that in, in, in that uniqueness, I can minister to you well. 
there are things that you've experienced that I haven't. Right? There, there are aspects of your personality that I don't have, but that the Lord might use to minister to me. There, there's, there's a difference in each of us that the Lord has given us, and I think in all these ways, even the hard stuff, we can say that these are truly gifts from the Lord that he has redeemed by the cross and that he uses in our diversity to minister to one another. So we're all recipients of grace according to Christ's gift. Paul is, is really clear, though, to jump into explaining that some, for some, there's this specific designation that the Lord has given. And he, he lists out a few of these, these offices, maybe, of the early church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, which is another common term used for, like, pastors, overseers. And the teachers, um, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Um, some of us are specifically designated in these ways by the Lord for, for purposes in his church. And that's a gift. It's a, it's a, it's a privilege that the Lord has given to, to me and the other pastors. Um, and it's a calling that we don't want to take lightly because here we see that the role of these, these leaders in the church is not that they might have the prestige and the power and the glory and the honor. It's rather that they might equip the saints for the work of ministry. I, I love that phrase, right? That we might equip the saints for the work of ministry. You often think of the pastors as the ones who are doing the ministry, and then, and then the church, they're the saints that are being ministered to, and there's truth in that, but that's not the whole picture. I mean, the reality is that as pastors, our job is to equip you for ministry. We want to equip you that you might minister to one another, uh, to unbelievers in your, in your world that we will never meet. Um, that, that equipping that takes place, that's a particular calling that the Lord has given to, uh, to pastors, to shepherds, um, for, the, for the work of building up the body of Christ, he says, until we have unity of the faith, knowledge of the Son of God, uh, maturity, mature, he says mature manhood, the fullness of Christ. That's no, that's no small task. The full, uh, yeah, all right, Robert, here's your job. Uh, I want you to train up the people of God so that they could reach the full stature of the fullness of Christ. So how do we, you know, let's, let's figure out what that's worth, and, and you go to seminary for that. Uh, that's, that's an incredible task. It's an incredible privilege, and it's a beautiful thing to be able to be a part of and to witness and to see God's people growing in maturity. That's the role of pastors in the church. But it doesn't just stop there. And I think for, for many of us, we, we, kind of, we kind of stop there. Even I myself am tempted to just sort of stop there and see the work of ministry in the church kind of ending, terminating with, with me. Because I'm selfish and arrogant, whatever. But, but the, at the end of the day, we kind of tend to stop there. But Paul doesn't stop there. He keeps going. And he even uses some of the same words. He says... Um, he says this at the, at the end there in, in verse, uh, verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So the head of God's people, the head of the local church, uh, is not Brad. Or, or me, or Tyler Springer, any of the elders, it's, it's, it's not that. The head of the church is Christ. He's the head of the church. And, and our role is really subservient to him, that we might do his work for the people of God that he's entrusted to us. Uh, but by the same token, then, uh, Paul says that the, 
it's, it's rather that we, we as God's people are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. You know, the, the body without a head is pretty useless, generally speaking. Uh, and, so, and so we, are, are every, we owe all of our being and, and movement and action and activity and, the, and life uh, to the head, to, to Christ. Uh, that's true for pastors, but it's also true for the, for the members, the, the, the individual people in this local church, that that's, that's our responsibility, that we would grow, that we would pursue that, that we would seek that, not that we can necessarily make it happen, but that it would be our aim, our, our desire, our prayer, our hope, that we would grow, and that we would, that we would help bring that about in one another. He says that we're all destined to grow up in, in, in every way into him who is the head, but he says it's, it's by each part working properly and building itself up in love. And so each of us, as we're gifted, as the Lord has called us, right, we have abilities, gifts, experiences that we bring into the church that we use then to build up the church. And, and it's interesting that he says building up there because he just described the role of the, the pastor, the teacher, the, the shepherd as, as building up the church. But that's, that's all of our job. That's all our collective responsibility that we might build up the church with the gifts that the Lord has given us. How do we do this? How do we do that? He says again in verse 15, it's, it's by speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. Um, that's how we grow up. That's how we as a church grow. That's how we encourage one another to grow. You know, again, going back to this idea of, of pastors and teachers, shepherds, they're, they're, many, even like the apostles, the, the, the prophets, they had this unique role that the Lord had set aside for them in history that they might proclaim the word of God to God's people, that they might believe it, hear it, be transformed by it. And we see that bear itself out in the book of Acts especially. You see these incredible things that the Lord does to, to corroborate what they've spoken. Um, but as God's people today... You know, we, we have something even maybe more sure, more certain, which is the word of God. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. And, and as God's people, if we're, we're feasting on the word and then likewise speaking the truth and love to one another, we're just regurgitating what we find here, uh, to use a gross picture. Uh, if we're doing that and, and spitting this back out to one another in the life of the church, that's how we grow. So, and this is my third point, we grow by being saturated with gospel truth in the local church. The local church is, is the context for how we, we prove our walk, how, how our walk is proven worthy. It's, it's the context where we, through the unity of the church and the diversity of the church, the Lord builds us up and transforms us. But it's, it's also in the local church that we are saturated in the word. That's no small, that's no small thing. I mean, think of all the reasons you go to church, all the reasons you get up on Sunday morning, especially when you don't really want to. Maybe think about those reasons. Why do you do it, you know? Why are you here tonight? Um, there may be a number of reasons, all of which are perfectly good and valid. Uh, but I think the main reason we gather together, the main reason Scripture points us to this again and again as this hallmark of Christian living, not, not neglecting to meet with one another, as Hebrews tells us, is that we might come and be nourished, saturated, filled up with the word of God. In, in what's preached on Sunday mornings when we're together, 
or Wednesday nights and the ways that we pray with one another and the songs that we sing, uh, the ways that we minister to children and the ways that we just care for one another. We want to be people who are, who are eager to saturate ourselves in the word of God, but also to, to likewise then saturate and encourage one another to do the same. Uh, I think that that's something that is uh, it's so, it's so essential, but I think it's something we often overlook. But Paul, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't see any sort of question about it. This is how we grow as Christians. This is the role of the local church in our lives. He says in chapter 4, starting in verse 25, Therefore, I mean, listen to just as he speaks. All the words that he uses to describe what, what really ultimately is about speech and the way that we talk to one another. He says, therefore, put, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not, do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that we, he may have something to share with anyone in need. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So much of what, what we are about as the people of God, especially when we're gathered together, is, is really nothing more, nothing less than being saturated in the gospel. That's what we're doing. That's why we gather together. Because as much as I would love to say that I'm constantly pouring over scripture and studying the word of God, I know some of you think that that's what I do all day. Uh, as much as I would, I'm sorry to shatter that illusion. Uh, anyway, as much as you would like to think that, as much as we would like to think that of ourselves, uh, the reality is um, we don't always have the Bible with us. We don't always reflect on God's word the way that we should, the way that we'd like to. And if we're on our own and just dependent on the echo chamber of our minds to get us through life, I mean, that would be devastating. But the reality is the Lord has given us one another that we might speak the truth to one another as well. And so then we function in each other's lives as miniature gospel tracts, just walking around constantly in and out of each other's lives, reminding each other of the goodness of the Lord, the faithfulness of the Lord, uh, the, the hope that we have in him despite our circumstances. You may be suffering, you may be on the pinnacle of joy, but whatever your circumstance may be, the Lord is using that, will use that. If you would speak to it, the Lord will use that to minister to other brothers and sisters in your life. I mean, it's happened to me countless times. I'm sure you've probably experienced the same sort of thing. But it's why we need one another. It's why we need to prioritize meeting together. Why we need to prioritize Sunday morning and seize any opportunity we're given to gather together with God's people. Not so that we can just be around each other. 
sometimes we'll annoy each other and drive each other crazy, and you just kind of, you know, you don't really want, you'd rather just sit at home and veg. But I'm telling you, when we gather together with God's people, the Lord is faithful to use that and to use the gifts that he's given us that he might cause us to grow through the testimonies of one another. We, we, we need to learn, I think, to value our words to one another. When we're together, when we are away from one another. And when was the last time you just texted a brother or sister? I just said, hey, I'm thinking about you. I was meditating on this scripture. I was thinking about just the goodness of the Lord in your life or my life or somebody else's life, and I just wanted to remind you of it. When was the last time you did that? It's not hard, but I think if we cultivated just more of a, of a heart to just do that sort of thing, to just be eager to, to, uh, to speak the truth in love, whatever the truth may be, I think that that is something the, the Lord uses. When, when we speak to one another, and, and then likewise, we need to learn, I think, to value the word of the Lord to, and, and, and the truth of the gospel in, in how we hear one another. You, know, you, you should certainly always be thinking, how can I minister to somebody? But you, you shouldn't overlook the fact that the Lord uses others to minister to you. And, and, and are you setting yourself up to hear from others and to be ministered to, uh, or, or are you kind of cutting yourself off? From that? I think that's an important question just to think about. Um, so, bottom line, and, uh, and I'll, I'll wrap this up. The bottom line is that, that we should, and I think scripture calls us to, uh, to value each other's awareness of the gospel. That's the local church. That's the role of the local church in your life. That, that your pastors, that your fellow church members, would value your awareness of the gospel, that they would see that as paramount in their relationship to you, and then that you might see it the same way in your relationship to others, that we might make one another more aware of the reality of the gospel in our lives, in general stuff, but then also in the particulars that, that we walk through every day. Let me pray for us. Father, we, we do... Uh, we, we, know, we know our need for this. We know that like, like the air we breathe, the water we, we need to survive, your gospel is, is essential for our growth. It's how we abide in you. It's, it's when we abide in your gospel. It's when we know and understand your gospel better. It's how we become more like you. It's how we bear fruit. Uh, Lord, we we know some obvious ways that reading your word seems so straightforward as a means of knowing you better, but how often, Father, do we consider the need we have for one another? Or would you forgive us for the way that we have failed to cherish properly this gift that you've given? And would you make us more eager to receive the blessings that you would absolutely rain down on us if we properly cherished your people, the church? we valued our relationship to, to even this local body of believers. I pray that you would use that to make us more like you. That you would use the testimony of, of each of us to care for everyone else and to make the gospel a more present reality in our day-to-day -day lives. Lord, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.